Amen. Would you turn with me in your Bible to the Gospel of Luke? Luke chapter 16. My name is Jody Sledge. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Fellowship, and it's uh, my joy to be bringing God's Word for us today. Luke 16. We're picking up where we finished off a couple of weeks ago, uh, starting in verse 14. And we're going to be thinking about stewardship. What does it mean to be faithful stewards for Jesus' sake? So this is the word of God. It says this in verse 14. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all of these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John, and since then the good news of the kingdom is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. And there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off, and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water to cool my tongue, for I am in anguish from this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And beside all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that no, one, that no one may be able to cross from here there to us. And he said then, I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, then they will repent. And he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus and what he's saying to us today. We thank you that he was faithful. Faithful to you. Faithful to go to the cross. Faithful to give his life as a ransom for many. Lord, so that we might live for him. So that we might give our life back to him. So that we might receive his gifts and so that we may be stewards of those gifts. So God, would you speak to us? Would you bless us today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I promise that I'm going to take care of it. Have you ever said that before? I promise I will take good care of it. When somebody gives us something of value, we often work hard to take good care of it. I mean, somebody lets you borrow their car, 
because yours is in the shop, you're going to take good care of it, right? Someone lends you their favorite book, you're going to take good care of it. Probably not just going to throw it on the floorboard of your car. I'll bet some of you kids here today have told mom and dad, I promise if we get a dog, I'll take care of it. We promise we'll take care of it. That's what it means to be a steward. A steward, it's not a word that we use a lot, but what it is is it's someone who takes care of something that's been given to them. Faithful stewards work hard to take good care of the things given to them. But if you're like me, sometimes we're not great at being stewards. So you have to return that car to your friend with scuffed up wheels because you hit a curb in the parking lot at Target. Or you've got to find the courage to tell your friend that you lost their favorite book. Or mom and dad come to realize that they're actually going to be the ones taking care of that new dog. I mean, sometimes we're just not great at being stewards. And that's so true when it comes to the things that God has given to us. I mean, God has blessed us with more gifts than we could ever realize. And sadly, we fail often to take good care of those gifts. But today, he's calling us to be faithful stewards. I mean, we could spend hours thinking of all of the good gifts that God has given to us. But in our passage today, Jesus is going to draw our attention to three of those gifts, and he's going to call us to be faithful stewards over them. The Lord gives us our hearts so that we can love and worship him. He gives some of us the gift of marriage so that we can reflect the goodness of the gospel. And he gives all of us opportunities every day to love and to serve others in his name. And so today as we hear the words of Jesus, my prayer for us is that we would be faithful stewards of those gifts that he's given to us. And as we look to Christ, the faithful steward, that we would strive to take care of those gifts. So let's dig into God's word today. Number one, Jesus is calling us to be a faithful steward of your heart. Be a faithful steward of your heart. So Jesus has been talking with the Pharisees and his disciples all the way back to the beginning of chapter 15. And if you remember from two weeks ago, Jesus just taught them about money at the beginning part of chapter 16. Look back up at verse 13. Jesus says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Pastor Lance preached on that a few weeks ago. And so here the Pharisees are in verse 14, and Luke tells us that they didn't like what Jesus had to say. And they didn't like it because they loved money. These teachers and these keepers of the law, they looked holy and righteous and good. But inside there was something unholy. Inside there was love of money. And notice what Jesus says to them in verse 15. He says, you like to justify yourselves before men. That means you like to show off so other people see how good and holy you are. And he says, other people might be impressed by your outward religion, but God is not. Jesus tells them there that God knows your hearts in verse 15. God knows your hearts and what he sees there, he doesn't like. And Jesus calls it an abomination in the sight of God. 
what in the world is that? <laughs> well, that word simply means that it is disgusting to God. Literally, it stinks to God. He sees their outward religion, and he sees that their hearts are full of love and love for money. And God says, that just stinks. And notice why it's such a problem. Look at verse 16. Jesus says that the law and the prophets were until John the Baptist, and since then the good news of the kingdom has been preached. You see, the problem is that the Pharisees knew the law and the prophets. That was their job to know these writings. But they refused to obey it. I mean, just think about the Ten Commandments. I'm sure the Pharisees knew the Ten Commandments, right? And what's the very first one? You shall not have no other gods before me. Here they are breaking the very first commandment, giving their lives and their devotion to money, having money as their God. I mean, if anyone should know what it is to love and to serve God, it should be these men. But they were filled with a love of another. And so Jesus didn't, didn't, wasn't saying to them, and it's not like he didn't want them to come into the kingdom. In verse 16, he says, everyone forces their way into the kingdom. This is a hard verse to translate. It might say something different in your Bible. I think the, the Christian the standard Bible gets it right when it says, everyone is urgently invited to enter into the kingdom. So Jesus is like that master of the feast back in chapter 14 of Luke, who wants anyone and everyone to come to the banquet. But the Pharisees don't want to come. They are content to love money. And if they're hoping to get off the hook someday, it's not going to happen. Jesus says, God knows your hearts. He sees your hearts. And they stink to him. And so this is where Jesus is calling us as his people to be faithful stewards of our hearts. You see, our hearts are a gift from the Lord. And when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about the core of who we are. Our thoughts and our intentions come from the heart. Our emotions and our desires come from the heart. And God has given us our hearts as a gift to steward. But friends, the reality is that our hearts can be a mess. I know mine can be. I'm sure you know that yours can be. And what's funny is that our world tells us to follow our hearts. It's in your kids' movies that they watch. It's on social media. It's in the advice that people are going to tell you in this world. Just follow your heart. Do what your heart tells you to do. That's a really bad idea because our hearts are sinful. The prophet Jeremiah says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. So don't follow your heart. Steward your heart. Listen to Deuteronomy eleven sixteen. Moses says, take care lest your hearts be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. He's saying, take care of your heart. It's been famously said that the human heart is an idol factory. Our hearts can worship money or power or pleasure or entertainment or the praise of people. We could just go on and on. And that's why Jesus today is calling us to take care of our hearts. In fact, Jesus is after our hearts. He lived and died and rose again so that our hearts might be made new. 
Jesus takes our old, dead hearts and gives us new hearts so that we can truly love him and love others. You see, the only heart, the only hope for our, our sinful hearts is Jesus. I mean, we can try all that we, that we can to keep our hearts free from the love of money or any other idol, but really only Jesus can give us a new heart. And he gives them to us as a gift, a gift to be stewarded. So what does that look like? How do we steward our hearts? Well, we understand for our physical hearts that we got to eat well and exercise to take care of those, right? So what do we do then to take care of our spiritual heart? How do we keep from being like these Pharisees who love money? Quickly, here's three things. First, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Proverbs 4, 23 says, guard your heart above all else, for it's the source of life. This means we have to be careful what we let into our hearts. Friends, we're letting so much into our hearts through TV and movies and social media and cable news. We're letting so much into our hearts. But if it doesn't honor the Lord, then don't let it in. Your heart might even be telling you, well, this is good. This is what I want. But our hearts are deceitful. Let the word of God guard your heart. Pray for the Lord's help so that you can guard your heart. So guard your heart. Second, grow your heart. Find ways to grow your love for Jesus. So study God's word with a friend. Read a good book about the gospel. Walk into this room every Sunday with a desire to grow in your love for the Lord. I mean, remind yourself each and every day that your greatest task that day is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your strength. So pray that the Lord would help you to grow your heart for Christ. And then third, give your heart. Give your heart to the Lord. This is what he's wanting. This is what he wants, our hearts. You see, it's not enough just to say, well, I don't love money, so I guess I'm good. No, Jesus is saying, yeah, I don't love money, but love me. Love the Lord. So we must give our hearts to Jesus as an act of worship. The prophet said this about the people of God, that they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So may we never let the love of money or any other idol keep our hearts from loving the Lord. Let's give our hearts to the Lord daily. And as we do, we can be faithful stewards of our hearts. So brothers and sisters, let's faithfully steward our hearts for Jesus' sake. That's the first thing we see. Secondly, number two, be a faithful steward of your marriage. A faithful steward of your marriage. So as we come to verse 18, we see Jesus begin to address divorce. And when it came to divorce, the Jews looked to Deuteronomy 24 for their views. In that passage, Moses says that a man must give a wife a certificate of divorce when he finds indecency in her. Now, this law was meant to protect the wife, to keep men from simply abandoning their wives. But like a lot of God's law, it became twisted, and it was used to justify divorce for any reason. 
I can divorce my wife for any reason as long as I give her a certificate like Moses said to do. And so many Jews believe that. They believe if you find someone prettier than your wife, then divorce her. Just give her a certificate. That's what Moses said to do. Don't like your wife's cooking? I mean, this literally, this is, we see accounts of this. You don't like the way she's taking care of your home? Just give her a certificate and divorce her. Go find someone else. But here Jesus raises the stakes in marriage. Marriage is a holy union between a man and his wife that God has created. And it is a gift. It's a gift that God wants us to steward. And so this is why Jesus says in verse 18, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. So Jesus is raising the stakes. Divorce is not just something you do because you want to. To divorce your wife because you don't like her is as bad as committing adultery. Jesus is talking to super religious people who would never in a million years commit adultery, but who find it okay just as long as you give her a certificate to divorce your wife. Now, why is this here? This seems like it's in the wrong place in Luke's gospel, doesn't it? I mean, all of chapter 16 is really about money. So why in the world is he talking about this? I think we have to understand that divorce was most often, not always, but a lot of time motivated by money. One scholar said this about marriage in the ancient world. The transfer of wealth is the most important consideration in ancient marriage agreements. Marriage involved marriage used to involve and still does in many places of the world something that's called a dowry a dowry was money or property that was given by the bride's family to the husband and if the wife was unfaithful and he divorced her he would get to keep all of that money so when you go back and read deuteronomy 24 what it seems like it's trying to do is to keep men from working the system to gain wealth through marrying and divorcing women. And so it seems that Jesus, in a section on money, is raising the stakes on marriage and so expose another way that these men, are, their love of money is bearing fruit. You see, marriage is not a means to get rich. It's a gift from God. And it's a gift to be stewarded. Now, we can't say everything there is to say about divorce here, but let me, let me say a few things. God's good design for marriage is clearly one man and one woman for life. It's a covenant agreement between God, the husband, and his wife. And in Jesus' own words, what God has joined together, let no man separate. But we know we live in a fallen world full of sin, Sin ruins marriages just like it ruins all kinds of things in this world. And a divorce is a sad reality of this world that we live in. But divorce is not an unforgivable sin. And oftentimes, divorce is the result of only one of the partner's sins. I mean, Jesus clearly says in other places that to divorce someone because of sexual immorality is not a sin. You see, divorces can be super complicated and it's different from situation to situation. But let me say this to some of you here who, who've been divorced. 
You are loved by your Savior. You're in, if you're in Christ, there is no condemnation, not even for divorce. Jesus died to pay for the sin of divorce. And those who have been divorced are not second-class citizens in the kingdom of Jesus. You're God's beloved child in Christ. We're all his children by grace and by grace alone. No one is saved by having a marriage that lasted. We are saved by the lasting love of Jesus that he poured out for, on us on the cross. So if you've been divorced, Jesus is here for you. This church is here for you. We want you to find grace and forgiveness and restoration in Christ. Jesus loves sinners of all types, and he died to make all of us his bride. So then what does it look like for us then to faithfully steward our marriages? Here's some things that I think it looks like for us to faithfully steward our marriages. First, take divorce off the table. Certainly, there may be times that the Bible says that divorce could be permitted, maybe even necessary. Severe situations of adultery or abandonment or abuse may require the ending of a marriage. But for most of us, divorce should not even be an option. I mean, marriage is hard. That's no secret. It can be unbearable at times. But it's still a gift. It's a covenant union that God has graciously given to us. And it's a gift worth stewarding. And you see, Jesus is raising the stakes on marriage, and the church should refuse to follow the world's leading on divorce. I said earlier that divorce can be forgiven, but it doesn't mean that we just do it so that God will forgive us. This is really hard, so let's just end this marriage and get God's forgiveness and move on with our lives. No, we don't sin so that grace may abound. So resolve in your hearts and in your marriage just to take divorce off the table. It's not even an option. I know things can be hard. I know your marriage may even today seem hopeless. But I know that Jesus can do more than we might even ask or imagine. If your marriage is struggling, then get some help. Jesus is here for you. This church is here for you. Your pastors are here for you. The road to a healthy marriage might be long and it might be hard, but it's one worth taking for Jesus' sake. So just take divorce off the table. A second way to steward our marriage is, is to take time to invest in your marriage. We know how to invest in things, don't we? We invest in exercise and eating well. We can invest in being successful at work. We can invest in improving our golf swing or making our house look nice. For something to get better, we have to invest in it, right? So why do we often think that marriage is just going to get better just because it will? Why do we neglect to invest in our marriages? Friends, we need to take time to invest, to spend time together, to talk with your spouse, to pray with your spouse, to have fun with your spouse, have con hard conversations, have gospel conversations. 
Take the time. Spend the money. Make it a priority in your marriage. If you're not married, pray for us who are married. Help us. Talk to us about our marriage. Encourage us in our marriages. Give us some date nights so that we can go out and invest in our marriage. Take time to invest in your marriage. A third way to, sh- to steward your marriage is take the opportunities to be thankful for your marriage. I know it can be easy to grow cold towards your spouse. It can be easy to start seeing all those little things that just drive you crazy. The way that he chooses food can just drive you crazy. The way she leaves her makeup all over the sink can drive you crazy. The way he leaves his towel on the bathroom floor, the way she puts her ice block feet on yours in the middle of the night, I know those things can drive us crazy. It can be easy to become discontent, to complain, to gripe, to focus on all the bad. But why not take the time to be thankful for the gift of marriage? Why not sit down with your spouse even today, and say, I'm thankful for you. And here's all the reasons why I'm thankful for you. Take the time to be thankful for your marriage because your marriage is a gift. Be thankful for that gift. And as we're thankful, we will steward it well. So brothers and sisters, let's, for Jesus' sake, be faithful stewards of our marriages. Okay, lastly, number three. So be a faithful steward of your heart, of your marriage. The third area is to be a faithful steward of your opportunities. Be a faithful steward of your opportunities. So Jesus ends our section on stewardship with a parable about two men. Let me just summarize that for us. So there was a rich man. You knew that he was rich by the way that he dressed. He had some fancy purple silk clothes. And you knew that he was rich by the way that he would eat. He would have a king's feast, not just every once in a while, but every single day he stuffed himself with the finest food and drink. And there was another man, a poor man, and he would lay at the rich man's gate every single day. He had absolutely nothing to eat, and his greatest hope might be that they would throw some scraps out for the dogs and he might be able to get some of it. He was covered with nasty sores on his skin and for some nasty reason, the dogs are licking these sores on his skin. And then the time came for both of these men to die. The poor man died and he was carried to the heavenly gathering of God's people. The the Jewish people often imagined that angels would carry people to paradise and so jesus uses this common image and the poor man's name was lazarus which means god is my help this man had no help in life and so god came to his rescue in death and he's carried to jesus tells us abraham's side again this is not necessarily a literal place but a way that the jews often referred to being taken to the heavenly gathering of God's people. The rich man also died and he was buried, but he ended up in the place of the dead, Hades, and was facing torment and punishment. 
Now, Jesus isn't trying to give us a detailed account of how exactly heaven and hell work here. Instead, he wants us to see just how dramatically things changed for these two men. Lazarus went from the lowest place to the highest place. And this rich man went from a place, a high place, to the lowest. And somehow this rich man sees Lazarus enjoying the blessings of heaven. And he cries out to Abraham, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to dip his finger in some water and to come cool my tongue. Even in death, the rich man still sees Lazarus as a servant, someone beneath him. But Abraham says, that's not how it works, buddy. You enjoyed good things in life, and now you face punishment. Lazarus had no blessings in life, and now he has eternal blessings. And the rich man said, well, send him to my five brothers and tell them. But Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets. Let their brothers listen to them. And so this is where Jesus' story brings us back to money and stewardship. The rich man, as a good Jew, had the law and the prophets to show him how to treat poor Lazarus. He had Deuteronomy 15, 11, that told him to open wide his hands to the poor among them. He had Proverbs 19, 17, that told him that whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. He had Zechariah 7, 10, that told him not to oppress the poor around him. You see, this rich man had an opportunity to serve this poor man every single day of his life. He could have easily given the man a meal to eat every day. He could have easily paid for him to have clothes on his back. He could have easily paid for a doctor to come and to heal the sores that are on his skin. But instead he chose to hoard his wealth for himself. He chose to stuff and fatten himself instead of serving this poor man. Every day he had the opportunity to serve poor Lazarus and every day he was unfaithful with what the Lord had given to him. Brothers and sisters, we have endless opportunities every day to love and to serve other people. And Jesus is asking us, will we faithfully steward those opportunities? Will we choose to use our money and our wealth to serve the poor around us, or will we hoard those blessings for ourselves? Will we be faithful stewards of the opportunity that the Lord places before us each and every day? Because here's the truth. Nothing, I mean nothing, happens in your life by accident. There is no such thing as pure chance. We live in a world that is moving forward by the divine power and providence of King Jesus. The people that you will see today, Jesus put them there. The situations that you find yourself in today, Jesus put you there. The opportunities that surround you each and every day, King Jesus put them there. And he put them there for you to faithfully steward. So friends, when you're eating at a restaurant 
and the server is horrible. King Jesus put you at that table with that server. And he puts you there not to gripe and to complain and not to be stingy, but to be gracious and to be kind and generous. That's an opportunity to steward for Jesus. Moms, when your little ones are doing just about everything to get on your last nerve, I don't know how moms get to a point where they only have one last nerve, but you all know they've got one last nerve. Friends, moms, King Jesus put those little ones there. And he put them there because they need a mother to love and to serve and to help them. They need a father to love and to serve and to help them. Parents, we don't need to get frustrated, and I'm just as guilty when our kids need parenting. We get frustrated. Why do you need a parent right now? Because they're a kid, and I'm a parent. It's kind of how it works, right? Those are opportunities to steward for Jesus. When someone is being difficult at work, King Jesus put that person there with you in your workplace. And he wants you not to be someone who's going to put them in their place and say what everybody's thinking, but someone who will show kindness and mercy and grace. That's an opportunity to steward for Jesus. I mean, we could just go on and on. If you're single, that's an opportunity to steward for Jesus. If you're suffering right now, that's an opportunity to steward for Jesus. If you see someone in desperate need, that's an opportunity to steward for Jesus. And we do it for King Jesus because he did it for us. He saw us poor and naked. He saw us spiritually hungry and starving. He saw us covered with the sores of sin. He saw us unclean and unworthy and unloved. And he loved us. And he came for us. He lived for us. He died for us. Jesus perfectly stewarded every opportunity the Father gave him, even on the cross. You see, the cross was an opportunity for Jesus to say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to serve myself. I'm going to save myself. I'm going to look out for me. It was an opportunity to turn away from suffering and shame, but he chose instead to embrace it to bear the cross with all its suffering and all its shame. And he did that for us. He was the perfect steward. And by his blood, we are now saved. You know, our passage ends today by talking about someone rising from the dead. At the end of the parable, the rich man pleads with Abraham to send Lazarus back from the dead to convince his family to not be like him. But Abraham says they will not be convinced even if someone should rise from the dead. In their hardness of heart, they would not believe. In their self-righteous religion, they would not accept it. In their love of money, they would not even want it. They will never be convinced even if someone should rise from the dead. My friends, someone has risen from the dead and we have become convinced that our lives are his we heard this last week on mission sunday from second corinthians 5 
Jesus died for all so that all who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake was died and raised. Jesus has died, and because he has died, he has risen us from the grave. He is alive, and we are alive in him, and so that means we now live for him. And we live to steward everything for his sake. Friends, if you've never believed in Jesus, today would be a great day to do that. Take the opportunity that the Lord has presented you right now to confess your sins, to believe that Jesus lived and died and rose again to save you. Take the opportunity to throw yourself at Jesus, to call on his name, and he'll save you. You can do that now, and you can join us in living for King Jesus. Because really, that's what this is all about. Stewardship ultimately is about living for King Jesus. Our lives are a gift from Him. Our salvation is a gift from Him. Our hearts are a gift from Him. Our marriages are a gift from Him. The countless opportunities we face each day are a gift from Jesus. And He wants us to steward those gifts. So brothers and sisters, let's give our hearts to Jesus. Let's honor Jesus with our marriages. Let's follow him in taking every opportunity to love and to serve other people. Jesus is the faithful steward, and he stewarded his life and his love for us. So out of the abundance of grace and kindness, let's steward our lives for him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today. God, we are so thankful for Jesus and what he has done for us. God, we're thankful that he loved us when we were unlovable. That he was rich, yet he became poor for our sake so that we might be rich in him. That he willingly accepted the opportunity of going to the cross so that he might pay for our sins, so that he might cover our shame, and so that he might give us salvation and redemption, forgiveness and love and grace and mercy never ending. So God, may we be a people who look to Christ, our faithful steward, and who seek to steward our lives for him. God, help us to give our hearts to Jesus. God, help us to give our marriages to Jesus. God, I pray for the marriages today. If anyone is struggling in their marriage, God, help them to reach out to someone and get help. It's a friend or a pastor or someone. God, would you help us, Lord, to be faithful stewards of our opportunities that we see every day. God, we're so thankful for the gifts. May we show that by faithfully stewarding them for Jesus' sake. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.